Hi, welcome to the Trauma Thrivers podcast. Delighted to have you with us. I'm Lula Bentz, your host, a psychotherapist, a trauma expert, and a survivor myself. Lovely to have you with us. The Trauma Thrivers podcast is for anybody who has been through any sort of developmental trauma or who has complex PTSD. This podcast aims to help educate, inspire and support those of us that are on a trauma healing journey. We've got stories, steps and various solutions to trauma to help you heal. If you'd like more information or tips or tools or strategies, please go to traumathrivers.com. You can also find this podcast on my YouTube channel, Lula Bent's Trauma Thrivers. If you'd like to join our community of thrivers, please find us on Facebook under Trauma Thrivers. Welcome Thrivers, welcome to a Wednesday Live this week, which I know is rather unusual. We're used to doing it on a Thursday evening, but you know, we like to shake things up a bit. And also to invite my two wonderful guests that we've got today. I wanted to really do it during the daytime. So I know Fiona Yassine is normally in a completely different time zone to us. Hence, a Thursday night, I think, would have been the middle of the night for her usually. And Gory Seth is in London time zone. So, ladies, thank you. Thank you both for coming in today. And I wonder whether a good place to start is with one of you, if you don't mind just giving a little bit of background on who you are. Who wants to go first? Fiona, shall I pick on I'm, you? I'm okay. I'm, I'll go first. Thank you. And it's lovely to be with you both here on Wednesday afternoon. And uh, both of you, absolutely incredible friends and colleagues. So it does feel, I think you said, Lou, it's like uh, having a nice a nice lunchtime uh, sort of get together, which it yeah. absolutely is. Yeah. So thank you for having me. Yes, you're absolutely right. I'm normally in Malaysia. And if we had been on a Thursday night, it would be very early hours of the morning. So thank you for making it a Wednesday and also at lunchtime. Um, so I normally in Malaysia, my uh, my role, my my kind of focus is on looking after uh, young people. So teenagers, tweens, teens and adolescents, young adults and their families. And uh, I am the clinical director of, of The Wave, which is a trauma focused program for young people and their families. And sort of looking at all the parts, all the intertwining parts of uh, health and well-being for, for young people. So I, Can I just interrupt you one second to say to those of you that are listening either in the Facebook Live or later in the podcast, I've known Fiona for a very, very long time. And I would say of all the treatment centres in the world, if I've ever got somebody or a family under 30, she is my first port of call because it is a centre of excellence. And you're one of the clinicians, too, that I absolutely trust implicitly. Well, thank you for that. And, and it's always a pleasure to, to work alongside you and, and your families. And yeah, and to have had you as a friend and a colleague for such a very long time. So thank you. True. Very true. 
Gory, do you want to just give a bit of background on on who you are? Yes, absolutely. And just to say thank you, Lou, for having us. It's such an important Gosh. opportunity, really, to talk about this really powerful topic. So, yes, my name's Gory, um, and I work as a parent coach, um, specifically focusing on connection. So, I've set up something called Connection Coaching, and its focus is to work with parents. So, I don't work with the children, I work specifically with parents. And the focus is how can we support parents connect? Um, so it's about bringing strategies and tools um, to help parents with their own mental well-being, their own state of mind, with a view of connecting with children. So my background is I'm medically trained and I used to work as a psychiatry doctor. I've also worked in various psychotherapy modalities. And my mission really is to sort of bring those concepts, which I, I mean, I'm also a mum, I've, I've got three young children. Wow. So um, I feel there's a huge sort of, you know, gap to be bridged in terms of important mission science really out there. Um, and that's what I'm trying to do is to bring that science to parents so they can understand the mechanics of connection. Okay, amazing, amazing. And what brought both of you to the work and also with your... I suppose focus on parenting and young people. Fiona, I know that you deal with people in their 20s as well, and sometimes as late as early 30s. But, you know, the more the kind of teenage, adolescent, childhood and the parents, what, what brought you both to that area? Shall I start? Go on then. Um, I... Uh... My love is with is with working within that family system and, and all parts of it with with the kids with the with the parents with the young adults. Um, how did I how did I find that? I think my my original my original training was in teaching in, in dance and drama. Um, I love it. I yeah. didn't know that about you. Didn't you? No. Can you do shuffle time steps <laughs> then and all of that? Um, well, I think I you know I my experience of being a child um of being a child in in a family that that wasn't you know 2.2 children and and the you know sort of the the norm or the norm when we were you know younger and growing up was pretty tricky and um and so i i got to dance and drama by by huge kind of default really it was it was a bit of a um it was a bit of a way to sort of retaliate against something that that I thought that my mum wasn't doing correctly so I think when uh dance and drama was a love for me was a resource for me through a relatively traumatic childhood you know that I experienced and I think I found I found solace and I found uh pieces that I could use with some of my you know not so content parts through music through movement through this continual kind of evolving through uh through creative arts so i think I, <laughs> I i did dance and drama as a as a kind of battle against mum wanting to do me to do something very professional but actually was a really fantastic move i just didn't know it at the time for all the all the right reasons so going to teach children and uh and teach creative arts I think then was a natural transition when I did then go and train in uh, psychotherapy, then to move towards wanting to use that creative part of myself again as a vehicle to reach others. So I love the you know, love formal training. I love all the different psychotherapy modalities, the whole sweetie shop. 
but essentially I'm in love with creativity and movement and how that works with children. So I think that's um, that's my that was my direction there and why staying there. I guess it starts with the self again, you know, being able to use myself and my experience as a vehicle to understanding, helping, being with and part of someone's journey. Beautiful. Lovely. Love that. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Um, so how did I, the question was, how do I, did I get to this work? I think, yeah, because yeah. your background was psychiatry. Yes, exactly. Which is quite unusual, if I do say it myself. Going into coaching, yes. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, there's various bits here. I mean, the first thing I'll say is um, having my own children, um, number one. Um, number two, I feel that there's a really interesting situation where, you know, the parent-child connection is potentially a very powerful point. Um, it's a really powerful intervention, potentially. Um, you know, if we're attuned, if we're connected, that potentially could be quite a modify, you know, a really positive thing. And at the same time, being a parent is very challenging and it's very exhausting. And I remember thinking, you know, it's so hard, you're, you're sleep deprived. And at the same time, it's such a powerful time in the life course where potentially yeah. we could really rewrite um rewrite problems which might be being inherited from other generations or you know they mean it's it's an endless list of potential so i see the sort of the, those early years and the parent-child connection as such a powerful potential um especially when we're thinking about trauma that i and it happened quite naturally i mean i found myself going you know into work doing my postgraduate exams learning about neuroscience understanding really kind of interesting aspects of science and thinking this directly applies to to parenting and how can we help more people understand some of these concepts who may not be from a science background or might not have that sort of psychotherapy training. Yeah. Um, so it happened very organically. It happened because I'm, I love it and it's something I'm very passionate about. And as you said earlier, Lou, it doesn't really feel like work, to be honest. I mean, this is such a, um, it's a privilege and you feel that you're learning so much, which you can obviously directly support your own family with um, and then help other families who might be struggling as well. So, yeah. yeah. Thank you. That's amazing. And, and maybe that's a good point, actually, Gowrie, because I wonder if we should start with that in that, you know, the early years parenting and for anybody that's listening, what are some of the key concepts in that early relationship and rewriting that often we might see missing or might be the clients that then turn up or their parents turn up in our practice or they turn up with me much later in life or Fiona they turn up with you kind of what are some of the causes of that early lack of parenting because I think sometimes people maybe don't understand <laughs> about the connection and the attunement piece so I wonder mm -hmm. if we could start there perhaps yeah I'm very happy to start if yeah you brilliant do you so, mind no not at all so one thing I'll say I mean there's loads here but the first thing to say I think is that parenting in itself is a very triggering time yes because when we look at a small child we might well be looking you know it'll be reminding us of our own inner child um, and you know no parent is perfect so whatever the journey we've had there will be vulnerabilities there okay yes. 
Um, and That's so a great first place to start because I know that so many parents feel incredibly guilty about not getting it right. Well, exactly. And that's yeah. another huge driver is, you know, parenting can feel very judgmental and the people yeah. have an opinion about this and that. And parent guilt is very real. And no matter what you do, you're probably going to be feeling guilty. And what do you do with that? I mean, that is a very deep, complex emotion and it doesn't particularly help um, connected dynamics. Um, but just recognizing that, look, pair, you know, this is a triggering time. There yeah. may be wounds from the past which have been repressed or suppressed and haven't even come to surface for the last 20, 30 years, but all of a sudden might be kind of, you know, so very ossified concepts could be coming to the front. Um, therefore, be kind to yourself. A non-judgmental observation of that, I think, is really key. So one thing I'm really passionate about is you know curious and compassionately thinking about our own you know what we're bringing yeah. um and having a very low threshold for getting help with that i mean i don't think naturally we're very it's not easy is it to kind of reflect um and think about some of that material no matter what it is you know and i think having having some support in that journey is could be very powerful yeah yeah, that's really useful. Yeah. Fiona, what are your thoughts on all of that? And also the the sort of the, the changing dynamics of society about where we get that additional help from, you know, the non-judgmental help around jumping in quickly or feeling like you're supported or feeling, you know, mums and dads feeling like they're getting some of it right some of the time. I think the more isolated we become as little, little micro units in society, we don't have you know, the, necessarily the big family support anymore. That's, that's, um, that's also something that's, that's evolving and changing. And in terms of early relationship for me, I think when we're looking at um, particularly trauma and trying to go back in time, where does the relationship begin with, uh, with that child or with, you know, early childhood, early childhood beginning when, you know, we look at lots of the feelings that mum may have been experiencing during pregnancy or around conception and going all the way back to the stuff that is pre-verbal. Yeah. And, you know, is not as easy to access and we need different ways of being able to, to access that early stuff. Yeah. So for those that are watching that don't understand about pre-verbal and aren't as au fait with that attachment piece, could either of you just explain what what we think happens in utero in those first three years in terms of right hemisphere development and all the rest of it and why that attachment with with a regulated other is so helpful uh yeah i can i can have a little go at trying to answer that question in a way that could be digestible and yeah that's that would be brilliant yes so what we what we know there is quite a lot of research which shows that those early sort of dynamics with our primary caregivers um and the sort of attachment style can have a direct um impact on how brain how brain development progresses yeah so the brain is very impressionable, it's kind of very malleable, and the first two years particularly is when the sign, you know, the connectivity is kind of going for it. Um, and if those particularly two years, but we think three to five years really, um, if there's secure, if there's a secure attachment there, and by that we're talking about 
um, make you know attuned caregiving, children feeling safe, children feeling knowing that their needs will be met, children knowing that they're loved and feeling that, and also lots of touch as well. There are studies which show that the physical touch can also be quite powerful. Um, what that can do is it can support healthy brain development in key regions of the brain which directly support regulation. And emotional regulation is all about how we calm down when we're upset. And you know we all need to do that. That's something that we all need in our toolbox. So it's about thinking, you know, how can we give children the best chance with that process? Because what we know for sure is that we can't predict life. We can't predict the difficulties we're going to face. But if we can empower children with the tools and help them develop them in, a, in as good a way as possible, then that would be great. Now, early parenting is only one of those factors. Obviously, genes make a huge difference. We're born with our you know, genetics, our temperament. Um, and parenting isn't the only environmental factor. There's other peer relationships. There's, you know, relations, relationships at school. Yeah. So on the one hand, we don't want to put that message to pressurize parents and that really yes. isn't the point it's about recognizing that there is that opportunity that if we can think about our own mental health if we can connect with ourselves and connect with our children that could be quite a powerful powerful thing to do yeah but it's Amazing. not easy but not no. easy no what what are the type of things that disconnect us from ourselves and then our children what are the kind of presentations we see with parents who are going through difficulties and I'll stick with the parents thing and then I'd quite like to go what's happening in the environment and out there and make it a bit more global but in that one-to-one -one connection with a primary caregiver or that familial unit what do we see often turning up in you know uh, times when children don't feel safe what's normally occurring what 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 often presents do you think I think if we if we kind of focus on that early piece again and parenting there and how that then grows through childhood one of the things that that I think all three of us will see at the various different life stages of the people that the families that we work with is how chronic uh kind of stress on parents um impacts little people and I think we all we all have our preferred places that we go to when we're under that place that we would describe as stress or pressure or or trauma um, and similarly to you know with, with how Gary's just explained there is you know significant research to say that little people who are surrounded by stress and in stressful environments will in turn you know have some sort of changes in the formation of, of parts of their brain that they need later on things like working memory or um, the ability to use working memory to regulate behavior and how very closely they are linked and then you know how that might morph at six seven eight as sort of more erratic or um, impulsive behaviors or whatever and how that might link to the uh, that particular part of the brain that's looking at those higher order behaviors so if we're around, as little people, we're around parents who are chronically or long-term sort of under pressure, under stress, they may be disconnected from us by being what we would call emotionally unavailable to us. So if we've got somebody who has huge financial pressure or 
huge work pressure and they're very much in that and then we've got a little person whose you know hands are up like this wanting that that piece of mummy or daddy or a mummy or daddy for whatever reason they're not available how does that then impact and what does that teach the little person to be expecting about life in general you know can somebody actually be there for me and that might become ever so rather than it being about today and about mum or dad coming home from work or mum and dad coming home and having to immediately open the laptop and answer another round of emails does that translate into what must I do in order to be seen around here yeah yeah so how does that correlate for both of you in what's going on currently in the world or let's take that out from the family if you like to the environment and as they grow and as they develop into kind of yeah what then happens to them for example at the moment you know we've had covid for two years you know parents and everybody are wearing masks we're financially going through Uh, a a problematic time in the world too at the moment there are lots of stresses and stresses there's a war going on so other than parental stress what do you see coming up for young people about the own their their reasons or the reasons I guess that that either the parents turn up with you Gary or Fiona they turn up with you the kids in treatment what's going on for them in the general kind of soup of the world if you like what are you seeing I think um you know the external stresses are are there I think what I find that I'm seeing with with families is that it kind of comes down to those internal working models of the child and that kind of security they have with parents. So if the parents are anxious about those things, um, it's going to be a lot harder for the child to not be anxious because they look towards their kind of caregivers as the benchmark. Um, I think also the current big issue is kind of digital tech addiction and and the overuse of screens and how, you know, disconnecting that is. Um, But I think, you know, what I feel strongly is that it's quite, you know, what children need to know and what they need to hear is I'm loved for who I am no matter what. So as long as I believe that and I'm getting those messages, that can really support with the resilience and then obviously all those difficult things happening in the world um, are happening. But it's the kind of the the emotional state in the home and it's not easy. And I think one thing I'll say about the way I look at connection and attunement is that I don't think it's possible for a parent to be attuned all the time. No. And be, to be that connected caregiver all the time, even if they've got all the kind of optimum scenarios in the world. And the way I look at it is, it's not all or nothing. It's not that you're a connected caregiver or you're not. Actually, it's a very dimensional thing and some days will be more connected than others. And it's a little bit like the sort of speedometer, not to 100, you know, some days we might be on 94, we might dip down to 72 another day, and just recognising where we are in our connection. And if it drops, noticing it, 
if one day we're more connected than the other with our children, noticing that and trying to understand, you know, why were we more connected that day? So I kind of um, feel that if we can put connection on the map, then I think that can really support children and parents with their mental health to help them with those difficult things happening around the world. And when you say connection, um, and I'd be interested in both of your opinions on this, connection in that, you know, for, for a lot of my clients with their parents or however old they are actually, and, and whatever age I am, you know, let me own this personally, I still want my mum to be my mum, even though I'm in my 50s. You know, your parent is your parent, no matter what age you are. And for me, that connection piece is about being able to emotionally hear you. Yes. It's not about physical presence. It's not about proximity. It's about being open for me to hear how somebody is feeling. And a lot of my clients have struggles with their parents on the F word, on the feeling part of it, for them feeling like they're really hearing them emotionally. And I'd be interested on both of your feedback on that, really. I think that's, that's it, it's pretty tricky, isn't it, for, uh, for parents sometimes to uh, allow their children of whatever age to feel what they're feeling without trying to jump in and make it better or jump in and shut them up or just generally do something to change what is going on do you know if you've got a a child who is in front of you who is angry and you know your your essence of what it is to be mum or dad is to fix that anger but that's not always what's needed or very often not what's needed if that little person big person or in between person is okay feeling their anger and being angry in that moment as long as they're not you know harming themselves or harming someone else it's absolutely the right thing to do to validate and allow it to continue and and to to not feel and maybe that helps with the guilt that uh, Gory talked about earlier, that, you know, we we feel this immense pressure to make everything OK for everyone. And actually, we don't we don't have to and we don't have to feel guilty about it. People are really OK feeling what they feel and having a, somebody there to say, I, you know, I get that. I hear that. Gosh, you know, really, that sounds super big for you right now. That sounds super powerful. You sound really angry but I don't need to get in there and change that anger or get in there and make you feel happy or, you know, suddenly do a dance or bring out a present or bring you out your screen in order to give you this false sense of okayness or give you a chocolate or, you know, I don't need to do something. What I need to be is that magic word of attunement again. I need to be here with you right now. I need to allow you to be able to feel me being me and to allow me feeling you being you and neither of us need to try and change the other in that. And can you give anybody any tips, Fiona, if they're listening about how they can do that? Can it just be a hand on the back or can it be a I hear you or I get you 
what what words of encouragement can parents or family members use that's helpful that doesn't shut the child down or doesn't make it feel that emotion is bad or I'm naughty or I shouldn't be feeling that yeah I think sometimes it is it is a hand on the back or you know a hand, and, and being really careful and, and respectful around the use of touch in general and certainly you know for we're here today to talk about you know around people who may have had traumatic experiences and touching itself we need to be pretty careful but let's assume for the purpose of talking that you're a parent you you're kind of aware of some of the things that are okay and not okay for your child but it still doesn't hurt even with your own child to take permission to be to be doing that you know you don't you don't need to be charging in with both hands it's okay to say would a hug would a hug be okay with you right now yeah Would you like to come and sit with me right now? Would you prefer not to be on your own right now? Yeah. Even if the door slammed, the door slamming doesn't always mean I want to be on my own with this. Mm. The door slamming could be, hey, you know, would you like some company right now? Or I'm going to leave the door open so that you can come back whenever you want. Making it easy for people, particularly, I think, young people to uh, re-enter and come in and out as they need with that connection, with that with that contact being in proximity when it's when it's helpful. So yeah, I hear you. Being really careful with that one because it can also sound super patronising in the wrong space at the wrong time. Kind of, I hear you. Um, <laughs> letting them know that you actually. I don't know what happened there. We disappeared for a moment. Oh no. Um, to let to let somebody know that that you are, you kind of are walking with them in that moment and whatever it is, is is going to be okay. With the caveat that you can also say if it's not. Yeah. Because the whole thing about connection is not about, you know, sort of putting sticky, yucky, marshmallowy stuff all over everything. It's about being real. So if also what's being said to you is really impolite, you're not also there. Connection doesn't mean I'm here to be abused. No. It means, you know, I, I'm going to be real and be me in whatever that means in this relationship right now. Yeah. Well, that's what it means for me with young people. Yeah, lovely. Gary, have you got anything to add on that? Um, no, I think so. Absolutely. I think children need to know that they're not going to be judged for having those big turbulent emotions yeah. and they may well behave in an unacceptable way during that moment. Um, I think, as Fiona said, it's important that, you know, we hold space, that we don't withdraw in those moments because then they can be left with that residual message that if I'm real, I'm no longer lovable. And that really is, that can then be ossified and stay with them. But, you know, I've got you, you know, words like I've got you, this must be really hard. And also I think bringing in a third person perspective can be really helpful because I think when children are triggered, they can feel quite scared. So not only are they feeling triggered, but they also feel a bit scared of their own, um, the, the turbulence inside. And if you can bring in a third person narrative, so sometimes I'll say things like, you know, oh, you're really cross. I remember mummy used to also feel quite cross during these types of things. It's not easy, is it? Just a sort of validation from a third person perspective that the child then feels, look, okay, it's normal to feel the way I'm feeling. I haven't done anything wrong. I'm being heard. But then if there is a boundary that needs to be kind of communicated, let's say the child behaved in a way that isn't acceptable, 
I kind of feel it's really powerful to bring that boundary in later when every you know when their turbulence is sort of calmed down a bit later on revisit what happened you know it wasn't okay that you threw your pizza on someone's face or whatever they did yeah it's not acceptable why did it happen I want to understand and I think if children feel their caregivers want to understand what triggered them that is a powerful message you yeah. know you're not saying well done you did something wrong but you're saying I want to understand why that happened and how will we behave next time if we feel cross again? Yeah. So there's a lot of sort of curious questions, compassionate, non-judgmental questions, um, which can help that child feel, okay, you know, I do matter. You know, I actually, I'm on the map. I, they get it. They're trying to understand me. And that I think can be quite powerful for self-esteem, you know, later on. Yeah, yeah. huge. I think huge. boundaries as well, you know, as, as a, as a parent, and the, and the word boundary sometimes is overused, so I know we need to be careful with that, but um, something that, that we've been discussing this week within the clinical team is that um, in order to feel safe, we have to know how far we can play. So there was that lovely study about, you know, playgrounds having the, the, the beautiful sort of old-fashioned fencing around, and kids always playing right up to the edge of the fence. And that's absolutely fine. But when there are no fences, everybody sort of congregates in the middle and it all gets a bit kind of overwhelming and, and everybody, nobody knows how far they can move to. So I think parenting and the use of um, boundaries allows us to feel connected, safe, secure, heard by knowing where we can go to. And, and I think particularly parents who are wrestling with the feeling of guilt for whatever reason that might be may find implementing boundaries a little bit more difficult because it's the dreaded no word and the dreaded no word might have come up against some big hot moments in the past so we don't like to to use it or it becomes something that we're really scared of which then <coughs> Kids are super smart of whatever age. And as soon as they realize that mum and mum and dad, whoever is finding it difficult to come up against the word no or put the fences around the playground, we'll use that as a tool, which actually then comes right in the middle of, of connection. It, it's counter counter connection, isn't it? It's just it's sort of stamping all over it. Um, so appropriate use of putting in these lovely fences around our kids to keep them safe and secure, not to squash them, to give them the maximum room to explore and play, pick caterpillars off the hedges, go all around the fences doing their stuff, and then come back like the little two-year-old who goes off on a crawling, toddling adventure, but will come back to mum's knee eventually. And, and I guess the same principle up to now, Lou, that's what you just said you like to do with your mum. Like there's a point that you'd like to go back and just kind of tap her on the knee and say, right, I know that you're, I know that you're there, which is lovely. Yes. Have either of you read um, the book, The Velveteen Rabbit? No. No. Um, I've got one in my drawer because I use, I use it a lot, but this has got a lot of, um, this one, Velveteen Rabbit, quite <laughs> It's uh, Marjorie Williams. And she, it's a children's book and it's beautiful because it talks in there about being real and about what it is to be real. And there's, there's this old, you know, the rabbit gets kind of loved and worn and loved and worn and loved and worn until he's got, you know, not much fur left and his nose has been kind of put away. And then she, the concept of the book is that we have to go through some of that 
sort of wearing away and wriggling away in order to be feel truly loved that it's yeah. it's yeah that's beautiful it's kind of that flexibility isn't it that room to to nothing too rigid you know something that's a bit more permeable that kind of flows rather than yeah yeah if yeah. that makes sense yeah I just want to add that I think with that with kind of those limits on behavior as to what's right or wrong or reasonable etc sometimes I find um you can become closer through the process if you explain this is what I find with my children if I explain the boundary you know the reason for the boundary and link it to something that matters for them so whether it's for their safety or for their happiness or for their friendships then you can actually feel a lot closer whereas mm. if that sort of limit or boundary is said without that attention or that explanation, then it can feel that it can be a little bit disconnecting. But actually boundaries can be an accelerator for feeling more connected because if you can explain it, you know, the example I sometimes use is rather than saying, can you put your shoes away? If you sort of say, you know, mummy doesn't like mess. If you put your shoes away, you're thinking about mummy's feelings. You're being really considerate. Also, mummy may not trip up. If I trip over the shoes, I might bump myself. So you're being really considerate about safety. Would you like to put the shoes away? So they actually understand why they may want to put their shoes away. You're explaining the benefits and also giving them a bit of autonomy. You know, autonomy and having children feel that they have a sense of choice um, a reasonable sense of control is really sort of powerful for for self-esteem later on. And um, I think that's quite a powerful opportunity for parents where they can use day to day life and day to day scenarios to boost choice so that children feel they can weigh things up. Um, these are all sort of powerful skills for, the, for their future. Yeah, and brilliant. The other thing, Lou, you mentioned another thing I wanted to just touch on. You mentioned that in order to be that attuned, connected parent, do we have to be physically there all the time? I think that's such a great question because especially for working parents, you know, some, some people can't always be there all the time. I can't always be there all the no, time. No. But how, so what do I do to make sure my children feel connected even when I'm not there? Totally possible. I, do, I actually think sometimes the point in my life where I was least connected when I was there all the time on maternity leave physically there but actually not emotionally, emotionally present there. yes so I think it's about when you are with the children having those conversations um about you know mummy's got you mummy's always thinking about you mummy can't wait to see you when I get home so that they know when mum goes they're not being rejected yeah. if you have those transparent conversations it can it can do a lot to helping children not feel disconnected okay. um, so yeah amazing what what i wanted to ask you both next i suppose is how can parents avoid this is double edged this one re potentially re-traumatizing their children and how can they how can they start to look at the triggers themselves when they might be uh, in hyper arousal or activated or their own feelings might be triggered? What, what do we recommend for parents when they're looking within their own body and self around their kids? That's um, 
that's super important, Lou. And I think as 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 you were both talking, I was I was thinking that we, you know, we we're focusing on on the sort of gentle edge of parenting up to this point in this conversation. But for some of our some of our parents that that we all work with, and some of the parents who may be listening in today, um, the things that they're dealing with that are coming up are a bit scary, and so they're they can be coming at this sort of entertaining our, our, us today from a position of fear um, or, or anger or whatever themselves. And, and I guess that's you and I sort of being completely attuned as usual, Lou, coming at the, the same thing at the same time. I, as you were talking, I was thinking about uh, the parents that I would be working with that have kids who are self-harming or who are you know making end-of-life attempts or who are doing things that are potentially really frightening yeah not and, eating you know taking yeah, drugs. Eating, you know, yeah going into a treatment program going into a treatment program can be potentially really traumatizing yeah for both for the whole family system now how do we how do we best navigate this and and what skills can can people employ at that point and to what degree is it are both parts of the family system at that time kind of coming from the same place so how much of the self-harm that's happening in that moment is actually something that's being felt truly by mum sister whoever whoever the people are around as well how much of it how much of it is is the sort of visual that's happening within the whole system yeah and how do we you know how do we best regulate then for everybody in that because it's for me quite a lot of the time we may see the injury in one place but the effect over over the whole the whole thing I think that's is that kind of what you were also thinking, Lou, that how how does that, how do we, what do we employ there? So to get in touch with that, if you've got a child who's highly anxious, who's coming at everything from a place of real anxiety, and however that's coming out, that might be coming out with food, with body, with, you know, bathroom rituals, however that's happening, to be able to have a look inside and see how much of that anxiety you are able to own or, yes. or at least kind of... Uh, without the need to be chasing it off or doing whatever with it sometimes sometimes our children can be really expressing what we're not able to express ourselves I think so the answer is therapy right the answer is therapy all right um with all the love in the world if we're going to best help our children, we have to help ourselves. And it's yeah. a bit like flying on EasyJet, isn't it? The, the oxygen mask has got to go on before and at the same time as we're doing it for, for our children. We can only expect our children to be able to regulate as well as we are able to. Yeah, no, absolutely agree with that. And it's very sort of feels, it's a very integrated issue and it also feels like a separate piece of work in itself you know parents turning in in a very non-judgmental way and understanding their triggers um, and realizing that we do kind of bring our own lens of reality to our children and if we've experienced trauma if we're dealing with our own emotional kind of 
um, issues, how does that impact how we perceive our family issues and our issues with our children? And being really quite conscious of that lens of reality that we all put to the table. Um, having a low threshold for getting that support, as you said, Fiona. And there's a really interesting piece of research which suggests that the single strongest kind of predictor of how a child attaches with the parent is linked to how much that parent has tried to understand themselves. Um, that's a sort of loose description of the research. But essentially, you know, we can really help by by not having any shame in helping ourselves so that we can connect with children. And I think, as I said at the beginning, um, parenting is a triggering time in the life course. You know, there will be repressed material coming out when we, and also the hormonal shifts. If you know, if you're carrying the baby and you give birth, the sleep deprivation, the physical um, process. So, um, but in terms of, you know, hope, I do believe that, um, you know, in terms of life stress and trauma, there's research which suggests that it's about how it's interpreted and there is a modifiable bit of hope there that there is something that we can do we can modify how we how we process and how we interpret and the meaning we attach to the stress um, and reframing those meanings with support um, to kind of think in a very sort of holistic way yeah beautiful so I guess what I'm hearing is that we've all got to do the inner work on whatever it is that is being triggered within our own mind-body system, because that affects the connection then with whomever we're connecting with, whether they're our children or our parents or our siblings or our colleagues. It's each of us doing that individual work. And, and I, I hear you you know, on the, the narrative, because I know that I've, I've looked at research in the past that once a parent has a kind of conscious ability to narrate their own history and emotionally narrate it without, you know, periods of them not being able to explain or talk through or repress, the connection with their children is very different with a parent that can own their own narrative of their own life story. Yeah, and also to not, in that, to not see the world as an overly scary place in yeah. general. If yeah. we are, if we are traumatized as as a as a person, as a being in in many areas of life, and we bring a little person into the world, into a world that we perceive as essentially scary, and then we give this very mixed message because we're telling them that everything we do is about promoting independence and go out there, be independent. But by the way, you know, there's a wolf that lives around the corner. So these messages can all be really confusing. And, and I think, you know, some of those can play into really quite difficult parent-child relationships when, when there's confusion on the core or base message. So looking at uh, our, our bigger beliefs in the world system. I don't want to do things the way that my mum did them. Yeah, but what does that mean? Are we going all out in the other direction? It's also something I hear. So lots of, yeah, lots of exploring. And I think uh, Gori used the word flexibility earlier on in the conversation. And that's, that's the essence of being able to connect, isn't it? If we have flexibility, yeah, we're gonna get things wrong. Yeah, things aren't gonna go quite the way we wanted, but we can shift and we can move. And 
goes back to my dancing, doesn't it? You know, if we can keep moving, if we can keep flexible and keep uh, hearing and validating changing, um, we can get it right. Yeah. And there sits hope. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. I love that, Fiona. And I think, you know, um, letting go of perfectionism when it comes to being a parent, you yeah. know, having flexibility on your bar as to what, how you want to be. I mean, definitely trying to be an intentional, conscious parent <coughs> is like superpower, um, but not trying to be perfect and not interpreting anything less than perfect as a failure and recognizing there's a whole bit in the middle. And as long as we're trying to be as connected as we can be and as conscious as we can be, that's great. And there yeah. is no, there is no perfect parent. No. There is I'm no not perfect. expecting perfect kids either. <laughs> because, you know, there's no perfect kids either. And, you know, where I, I find it challenging quite often <coughs> is in time frames and time lengths and, you know, family members who think that their family member should be better now or who has a complex PTSD diagnosis, but why aren't they... Why aren't they okay, even after a year of therapy? And I don't know whether you find that either of you, that sometimes the expectations yeah. might be a bit unrealistic too. Yeah, I do have a strong view that it's really important not, you know, that we're not judging, you know, somebody's pressure and stress, everyone's different, everyone comes to their scenario with different genes, different pasts, different early lives. And objectively, one may feel that they had a less traumatic event than someone else. They should be better now, but that we have to drop that kind of narrative because, yeah. um, you know, we're all going on our own personal, there's a journey there. But I think what I do think is having that non-judgmental observation, you know, wondering, you know, why, why on some days is it easier for someone to feel stronger than others? What are the factors? How can we optimize them? How can we work on them? So I do think it's possible to be, to have a non-judgmental, but very proactive um, attitude to these types of quite complicated, potentially, you know, difficult situations but you know as I said the neuroplasticity of the brain just gives us hope that you can even in adult life we can rewire we can rewrite our um, experiences so yeah keep hopeful yeah yeah where are you two ladies heading with your work now what would you like to see happen out there with families and the clients Fiona where 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 next for you what would you like to see happen I think uh I think the, the more you do things like this Lou the more the more you bring um that's the phone ringing in the background I don't need to answer it I can just say um Thank the you. more uh, the more you do things like this and the more you're bringing the whole family system into the conversation about trauma you know, the more that we are um that we're talking about not increasing the pressure on one person to get well that we are looking at whole systems becoming flexible and whole systems being able to to kind of validate reassure move with others you know, i think you know that that is that's massive when when we have uh when we have the, the privilege to work with the family and we 
take the history on the young person that happens to be coming to us. We're equally interested in every communication that we have with mum, dad, sister, auntie, you know, Uncle Joe, whoever's in the because it's about the whole the whole system. Yeah. And um so I would like to see in general that become you know a more Normal. of a forward more of a how long does it take one person to get well well it takes as long as it takes the system to get well to go back to your question before lastly so I'd like to see more of that I'd like to see trauma being discussed more um, in relation to to how the whole the whole family operates I would like to see more services available for families I would like to see more um, things like eating disorders that we've touched on in little bits you know living living with an eating disorder whether you're the person who's living with it around and in your body or whether you're sharing a house with somebody with an eating disorder is reopening trauma every day you know re-traumatizing the situation every day how can we how can we be more trauma informed in all of our work I guess is what I would like to see happen yeah I agree with you and yes, um, I would like to see there, I'd like to see a, a much lower threshold before one gets support, you know, right at the beginning, maybe before there's a problem, maybe just, you know, I'd like to know more about myself, I'd like to understand more about my early years and how they may impact my family. So, uh, you know, I'd like there to be a much more normal conversation around, around um, mental health. Uh, like you know I think for parents it's hard to access help because you might have a baby you might be exhausted and seeing that support more accessible and I think you know digital um, products and digital coaching is or or therapy is really really that is one positive from what's happened over the last few years Um, and I'd like there to be yeah just less more of a sort of honest objective non-judgmental conversation around parenting um so that we can help parents without ramping up guilt and and i think science is going to be key there because knowledge i think knowledge is power and if we can lean on our biology our science our brain you know things which are universal to all cultures things which bring us all together i think that can that could really support this really important conversation and yeah just as as fiona said lou these these conversations are really powerful yeah i would love us to keep having them you know um because i i do think they're really powerful and i think they lead to us having a more trauma-informed world, you know, and if we could get this knowledge out to many more people and the masses, and we could, I don't know, I, I mean, I, I live maybe in a dream world, or another, a fantasy, but I wish we could teach all of this in schools, you know, and we taught, you know, every kid and every parent how their brain works and how, you know, how their body really operates and about their beliefs and about trauma and about their nervous system and everything that that we know, it would just, I think it would revolutionise things. Completely agree. It would be prevention, wouldn't it? It would be a prevention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And take the stigma and shame and everything else off it because, 
you know, everybody has a little bit of trauma, you know, and the world definitely at the moment has quite a lot of trauma. And so whatever we can do to help support each other and one another without with that non-judgmentalism and with some help. That's what it's all it's about, isn't it? Isn't it? That's a really lovely, gentle way. I was just thinking then, you know, when uh, when our young adults come and, and we we're helping with working within the the wave trust and they we get all of our young people to do safeguarding level one so that they can go and have some experience displace children so that's a way of talking about trauma that is with purpose and with help for others without coming directly at you it's not saying hey you you know look at look at yourself right now or just kind of sit around with this and and use the knowledge people yeah sorry i was just trying to look at at, at the um feed then to give some feedback without it, it blurting out loud of, on your voice fiona just to see what comments and things that we've got um we've got nick axel saying hi to us lovely to have you here mel can so relate to drama and dance being a resource as a child Malik, what a wonderful opportunity to have the three of you in one podcast. <laughs> thank you, Liv, Fiona and G- uh, Gory. Ravnet, thank you. But what can we do? Well, okay, so there's a question here. What can we done if we reassure the child, but the child keeps hitting? Okay, that's an earlier question. I don't know whether anybody wants if to reply we keep, to that. If we're reassuring a child, but they're, they're, they're hitting, hit, yeah. hitting out, yeah. If, yeah. If, if they're yeah. continually hitting out, um, then I'm wondering you know, whether there's some space there to be, uh, reassurance isn't working. So that's what the, the attunement there is not, it's not happening through, through, through validating. Right? So the kid knows that you know, yeah but it's not hitting the spot so there's something else needed so maybe that's the point that we would be asking the little bit about what what is underneath that so yes I see that you're angry or but maybe it's not you know it looks like you're angry I'm wondering whether or not you might also be feeling a bit sad or a bit scared so just because we're seeing hitting and, and as you know as, as bystanders we can think oh gosh that's frustration anger whatever word it is it yeah. might not be so just having a little sort of gentle inquire as to whether there's something else because if you've done your best yeah. and it's not fitting it's because it doesn't fit yeah yeah beautiful okay Evian knows hi Evian knows velveteen rabbit very important. Um, Crystal, Crystal Hayes. Hi, Crystal. This conversation is so important. And I hope this message re- reaches more and more mothers who are navigating their own trauma. I'm just seeing if this has been any more questions. No, just lots of comments about thank you to you both, really, for an incredible conversation. Where can people find more about you? Where can they find out if they want to get in touch? I think we've just done wonders for the sale of the Velveteen Rabbit. That I have. I think we have. <laughs> so everybody needs to go and buy a copy of the Velveteen Rabbit. It is the best book for little people and also for big people who need to read something and be really gentle to themselves. So if 
you haven't read it, then read it and go and feel the squishiness of being hugged like that little velveteen rabbit was being hugged. Um, for for me, then I can be contacted through the the wave um, through the wave clinic, and um, my contact details are on the website. And also, I think my direct email address is on just about everything that we've published. So I'm very happy to to take questions, answer questions, generally help out. Thank you. That's amazing. Gory, how do they get in touch with you? Yeah, so the, I have a website, um, which is brainbasedconnection.co.uk. And um, I have a Facebook page and you've got my contact details there. And I'm also on Instagram. All right, wonderful. And if anybody wants to ask questions in the Facebook group, can they do so underneath and we'll come back and answer if they're watching on replay. Um, if you're listening later in the podcast, sorry, you can't, but we might come back and do an episode two. So if there's enough questions and interests and you want specific answers, maybe we can do this again because I love spending my Wednesday lunch times like this. It's been great. Yeah, really enjoyed it as well. Thank you, Lou. Well done for getting oh, together. Oh, well done. Pleasure. Thank you both for coming. And thank you to those of you that are watching live uh, for joining us. Lovely to see you all. And we'll be back soon. And hopefully I'll convince these two ladies to come back. But we'll say goodbye for now and enjoy the rest thank of your Wednesday. You. Thank, Thank you, Lou. Thank you, Gory. Thank you Thanks, so much, guys. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. I hope it helped you in some way. And I really hope to see you back here soon. If you have anything to share on today's experience or podcast, please nip over to the YouTube channel or the Facebook group Trauma Thrivers and let us know there.